Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Everybody to Star Trek from the holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and at the helm in the studio with me is David Sabal. Hello, hello, Captain. All right, so today we're going to be breaking down and discussing Star Trek Discovery Season One, Episode Ten, despite yourself. Directed, David, by the one and only. Jonathan Franks. How does that make you feel, David? Oh, it's great to see Commander Riker again back at the helm. Yeah, it, it felt good. And it, and you could definitely tell there was a Star Trek veteran in charge of that set. It brought back a feeling that I don't want to say it was missing because I feel like Star Trek Discovery is definitely hitting those notes of nostalgia as well as moving forward and making Discovery something very different than other iterations of Star Trek. However, Jonathan Franks brought a a levity, a bit of levity to a Star Trek levity. We get, we got to definitely emphasize that. There's a difference between regular levity and Star Trek levity. Yeah. He understands the humor and the interplay of the actors, and it felt so good, and it felt like it worked really well for this episode in particular, and it makes me want more Jonathan Franks. I'm hoping he comes back. I mean, why not hire him on and have him do like three or four episodes a season? I know, give him an arc to do. Absolutely. I mean, especially since how connected Jonathan Franks is into the Star Trek franchise as yeah. a whole. He's directed so many things down yeah. from episodes down to the some of the films. Yeah. I forgot which film he had a major uh, uh, first, contact, yeah, first is, contact, which is arguably one of the better Star Trek films. And then one of the worst Star Trek films, Insurrection. Which I still I still argue with people to this day that insurrection is not that bad. It's not that bad. It really isn't. However, we're not talking about that. We are talking about Star Trek Discovery. Uh, also, this episode was written by Sean Cochran. Uh, synapsis is, while in unfamiliar territory, the USS Discovery crew is forced to get creative in their next efforts to survive opposing and unprecedented forces and return home. Now, what an episode. What a return. The mid-season finale did not hold back. Dead crewmates, dead returned crewmates, the Mirror Universe, and Captain Killy was introduced. <laughs> Captain Killy. Oh, my God. The way they went through her nicknames. Yeah. I'm going, wow. Yeah, I just love it because it's such, it's like the core aspect of what the mirror universe is is like polar opposites polar opposites and that's exactly what we saw with uh with captain killy or tilly and god can i just say uh david and i know we talked about this off air a bit but good god in heaven please rescue me from the from this whirlwind of love that i'm feeling every time i see captain <laughs> killy on screen i mean first off my romance was just budding when i met tilly 
But once she became Captain Kelly, I, it was full on love, David. <laughs> and you're not the only one. Everyone, absolutely. Every Star Trek fan that I've actually talked to say, Tilly is one of those characters that has absolutely grown on everyone. Yeah, I wish she was growing on me. I really wish. <laughs> I, really I wish we had a symbiotic relationship and she could never leave my side. <laughs> Don't leave my side now. I need you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a lot to talk about and break down or analyze because there's a lot of things. So it's one of those episodes. Uh, which mean uh, we're probably going to be here a long time today. Um, I, for one, am absolutely satisfied with how they've reintroduced the mirror universe to us Star Trek fans, particularly the special attention paid to the aspect of destiny via Lorca's comments to Burnham. And David, this is actually something that's in sync or in tune with exactly what we have been discussing on our regular show when we broke down the mirror universe episodes of Star Trek. We actually went on a, a 45 minute discussion about the elements of destiny and how it makes the idea of the mirror universe more realistic and if you guys are interested in hearing those discussions in depth, you can find them on our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. I believe $5 or more a month will give you access to all of those discussions. We go in depth. We break down every Mirror Universe episode and then we get, do our, our usual banter and discussions and our own theories and thoughts on the Mirror Universe as a whole. Absolutely. So I love the nods to Enterprise. Uh, in fact, if mev memory serves me right, the USS Defiance relevance to the Mirror Universe relies a bit more on the shoulders of Enterprise, correct, rather than the original series? Yes, but it that's where it was first seen uh, was in uh, the Tholian web. Right. In the, in the original series. Yeah. But it gained more relevance to the Mirror Universe when it... Uh, you get to enterprise. Yeah. And we're going to break that all down to people I, for people. I know there was some confusion because believe it or not, Dave, which I, I find this surprising, but maybe I'm sure the producers of Star Trek love it. Uh, surprisingly, there's some Star Trek discovery fans out there that have not watched other iterations of Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, specifically Star Trek enterprise. So I feel like the writers did the right job in the way they conveyed the mirror universe without relying too much on knowledge that you have to have in order to understand. I feel like if you don't know, I feel like it works. However, if you are in the know and you're an Uber Star Trek nerd, like myself and you, Dave, then it serves as a great, fantastic Easter egg and a continuing of the mythos of the mirror universe. But we're going to break it down more in depth um, in layman's terms. We're oh, going to yeah. explain how it works a little bit after our first break. And we're going to uh, hopefully we'll clear up the because there was a lot on tw uh, a lot of people were confused because the defiant is not the defiant that the defiant that they're talking about is not the defiant right. that's in deep space nine. Yeah. I know there's some fans who, um, who don't remember the original series. And I know there's some fans who don't, who didn't even watch enterprise, but they did watch deep space nine, nine. And they're, they're, they're wondering, okay, the defiant, wait a second. I'm confused. The defiant did not look like that. And I don't remember the defiant ever crossing over into another dimension like this particular episode of discovery detailed yeah so we're going to get into all that and explain exactly how 
and when the Defiant crossed over and how it's all connected to not just Star Trek Discovery, but the Mirror Universe canon as a whole. So we're going to get into that after our first break, as I was saying. But first, we got a little bit of news, Dave. All right. A little bit of news to get into from the Star Trek writing front. Apparently, and I think you're going to be happy to hear this because it helps with the the cohesiveness and the natural progression of the story. Knowing I see that. So knowing this reaffirms that you have to have solid plans before you start writing a series. I know, believe it or not, there's writers out there who say, well, we don't really know everything yet that's going to happen in the season. And I'm always left wondering how the fuck are you writing a TV show and you don't know at least Z. You should always know A, B, maybe not C, D, E, and F, but you definitely have to know Z. Yes. You have to know where you are starting and where you're ending, and then you can kind of fill in the blanks. And that's why I, when I read about this interview taken from inverse.com, it strengthened my my confidence in the writing staff of Star Trek Discovery. Because apparently, Dave, the first season was originally conceived to be a mirror universe season. It wasn't just the tail end of the first season. Uh, with the crew being swept away to the mirror universe by as early as episode four. That would have been really, really shocking. It, it, yeah. And I, and I, I, I understand the concept and Brian Fuller's original idea was for this show to take place in the mirror universe. And it kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. When you think of what Brian Fuller wanted to do with this show, make it a little more darker themed, have more realistic tones in terms of social politics, uh, that fits that fits. I don't want to say real as in the social politics that were delved into in previous iterations of Star Trek didn't matter because they did, especially for their time period and, and what was going on in our own history at that time. And now this one has to be a reflection of what's going on in our world today. Right. That's that's what makes good. That's what makes good relevant pieces of entertainment especially when you're dealing with star trek that's never shied away from social politics ever it's never it's never ducked tucked its head into the sand it ignored you know what was actually happening in the real world so looking at what brian fuller wanted to do i feel like the concept of discovery taking place majority the majority of the story taking place in the mirror universe makes a lot of sense to what he originally wanted for this show However, ultimately with him leaving, he probably wasn't able to sit down and go through all the writing, you know, steps to figuring out what might work and what might not work. However, after he left, Aaron Harberts and his co-showrunner, Gretchen Berg, both decided that going in to the Mirror Universe at episode four was far too soon. It was, uh, and according to this article, it says, uh, again, this is inverse.com, and this is taken from an interview with uh, Harberts and Berg. Uh, she says it actually was something that uh, was there from the very beginning, uh, very beginning with Alex and Brian, I think even maybe before we came on board, she tells Inverse. And it was something we wanted to do because one of the main themes of the show this year is about self-discovery, which is something we've gone, gone into, Dave. And so it just felt like going to the mirror universe was somehow going to be helpful on that journey. And I, I, it's it. I couldn't agree more, Dave. It's just a fabulous place. We were just saying that it's a sand. It's a perfectly untouched for the most part, sandbox where you can truly 
explore our characters. Uh, the original structure of the season was going to have them go to the mirror universe. She says, let's say at the end of episode four, uh, this is Aaron Harberts now, uh-huh. and the mirror universe was going to then be a construct that then carried through the entire rest of the run of the season. However, we felt it was too early to go over then because you didn't know what these people were yet. And so it was it was hard to introduce doppelgangers if you don't know who the prime characters is. That's a very good point. It really is. And not just as a writer, because even writers, as you're writing your characters, you start learning who these people are as you're fleshing out the the intricate elements that make somebody who they are. Sometimes it takes time to learn their story. And now if it's hard for the writer to truly understand, imagine the audience. It just wouldn't have had the same merits that it's going to have now. I feel like them waiting and using it as a second half story platform, I think is and was the best idea and decision made for the for the run of the show because you're right i mean season four i mean episode four dave i mean we were still focused solely for the most part on burnham up until episode four so we really didn't know much about the rest of the crew no that was and that was the that was the thing that if they were to actually go into the mirror universe number four yeah it'd be cool to see a mirror universe version of burnham but the rest of the crew i think would have been lost because we have been going well what is the polar opposite of this person who we don't know anything about? Yes. And it wouldn't have had relevance to the story and it wouldn't have mattered to the audience learning about the mirror universe version because we don't even know the other person. So we're not fully invested or interested in the character yet. So why would we care about their doppelganger? So ultimately I feel like that was a fantastic call on the part of Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts. I, I feel like it was a very smart decision and it shows their prowess as writers, as, as showrunners to make a decision like that, because it just, it would have changed so many elements. And I feel like being able to to take some time and, and focus a little bit on that Klingon war a bit uh, to help build up the character of Burnham and Tyler and Tilly. I mean, think about Tilly for a moment. We would not have even known much about Tilly yet. No. To, to even enjoy or laugh at the Captain Killy moment. I mean, even Saru's <laughs> remark about Captain Killy. Well, that's not clever at all. That's not clever I mean, the way all. he said that was just so funny. And it was so good, that line he delivered. And I don't feel even that line would have went over as well as it did if we did not know Saru yet. Yeah. And, so, and also on top of that, the one person that, is really interesting is for me was actually Lorca. Yeah. Finding about, about Lorca's doppelganger in the mirror universe was a rebel to the empire and basically is a heroic character or, or basically remember Lorca even stated that it's interesting that basically my doppelganger here, what he made some comment to Burnham about his doppelganger being heroic in a way. So what does that say about him? Yeah. And I'm like going, oh, are they actually going to come out and say that Lorca is a villain? I mean, that would be a really great turn of events, Dave. And I mean, imagine. Again, I don't think Lorca is the bad guy that they tried to paint 
in the very beginning of the the first season of this season, and I think it was needed to help create the mystery around the character. I think that's important, and I feel like there's still a lot more to reveal oh, yeah. <laughs> about about Lorca. And Lorca, I don't think, is a bad guy. However, there's a question mark there. There definitely is a question mark whether or not he will end up being a hero or a villain. And to, for them to play with the exact same aspect, but in a different way with the Mirror Universe version and say, hey, question mark in this guy, is he a villain or is he a hero? I mean, it's so fantastically done and it's exciting to see how that's going to play out. Absolutely. And that, that's what that was. the That was one of my favorite scenes was Lorca and Burnham's conversation was them talking and discussing about. I guess you could say like the uh, the 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 overall uh how the galaxy of the mirror universe is supposed to work. And basically when the thing that I found really cool was Lorca pointing out, yeah, huh, it's interesting that Burnham and him their counterparts are heroic in a way. However, what does that say about them if this is the opposites of them? Exactly. And I'm like going when he says that, I'm like going, holy crap. It's such a it's, great way to truly dive into our characters and to see what makes them tick. And what makes them tick. It's and, a true introspective. And then the interesting part, right after that, Lorca's character kind of shifts where he's he's not as dark and cutthroat and uh, I, I don't want to say cruel, but basically kind of like... Um, stern he's more okay i gotta save my crew i gotta do this i gotta right. do this I'm, I'm gonna sacrifice i'm gonna get in that agony chamber i don't give a crap just do what we gotta do to get back home. i just want to know can i be put in the agony chamber with uh, captain tilly <laughs> i mean that would be pretty hard can we be in the same can i share an agony booth please with her no if no. you're gonna put me in there put me in there with her <laughs> They, they, she probably plaster herself against the agony booth to just increase agony on you. Oh my god! <laughs> Can you push your boobs on the glass, please? please. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> that's inappropriate, David, and I don't appreciate that. I don't. I don't like that you baited me into that. All right, we're gonna go to a very quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna jump into this episode because there is just so much. So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. I've never had that issue. Andrew, you're also autistic. Sure. And you don't know how to read human behavior. It's true. No, I understand. So that. you probably but think, I've never, oh gosh, golly, this guy really liked me. Meanwhile, he wants to curb stomp I've you on your way out. I've never had that interaction. Everybody, it, I, it's because they don't know your schedule. Once they know your schedule, you're going to get curb stomped. <laughs> it's every other day for three days, and then it's a two day rest. All right. But I've oh, never had that interaction. Like wh- whenever I approach somebody and I say, "Hey, here's some resources that might give you a better resource." <laughs> <What are> you- <laughs> 
do you give him like a... What do you like? Let me pull up my bodybuilding.com account. I'll show it to you, bro. You're offering books? Do you like... Do you pin like a link to Pinterest and you like send it over to them? No, I'm just like, hey, here's some... If you're looking for a routine or not routine, if you're looking to fix your or work on your form... I've actually pinned a few great workout routines on my Pinterest. Hit me up. He goes over to the guy that's like fucking 260, 6'5", just ripped. Would you like to try my routine? Yeah. You know what you squat? You got to break parallel, right? Uh, I'm like, hey, try I'm like, hey bro, with me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> You're not helping anybody at the gym. Oh uh, man! I made some good friends. All right. I That's mean, all you, I'm saying about right it. You, treadmill. He's got you, treadmill. You act like if I didn't know any better, I would think we were in 1930s and you were living in an attic with Anne Frank recently. That's how thin you are. You're malnutrition. <laughs> Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. Energize. Welcome back. Today we will be breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 10, Despite Yourself. Directed by Jonathan Franks, written by Sean Cochran. All right, so Discovery has returned after nearly two months away, and they did not pussyfoot around. I think we need to start by saying it felt great, knowing that Jonathan Franks was at the helm of this episode, someone in tune with Trek. I just want to reiterate, a man that, that... has directed countless episodes of Trek, a couple films, and to have him in the lead while connecting various Trek storylines is and was fun. I wonder if he sat in the director's chair in reverse. (laughs) And not to mention his ability to direct. I mean, which is obviously the most important aspect. The guy is talented. If you look at his career, the guy has not taken a break since the days of Star Trek. He's been directing television nonstop. For over two decades now. Oh, yeah. He's done like a lot of things, dude. I didn't realize that Jonathan Franks was actually connected to so many other series. Yeah. Major series. Like, uh, I found out that he wrote Agents, uh, a couple episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the amazing thing, when I found that out after Discovery, I went back to watch the uh, the episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that yeah. he did. Mm-hmm. They're freaking good. Yeah, he's capable, man. I he's think it's very smart. capable. I think it's very smart. I wouldn't mind seeing him direct a future Star Trek movie. Honestly, I feel like he understands. Kelvin? It. 
I think he would. Yeah. I think he would actually be great. It would be really good. Yeah. Now, as just a reminder, all right, the writers had left us with quite the cliffhanger at the end of the midseason finale into the forest I go. The crew had a major victory against the Klingons and deployed the controversial spore drive, a final time to travel to Starbase 46. However, Lieutenant Stamets had a terrible reaction due to the, due to the prior incessant jumps, leaving Discovery adrift and a mysterious chunk of space with no Federation outpost in sight. That's where we were left. And now let's fast forward to the recent episode and boom. Some of our theories, Dave, and fan theories were correct, and some might still prove to be correct, or maybe they are just simply being used as a way to misdirect, which I think a couple of them aren't quite clear yet, as as I think a first watch may allude to. I think when you're first watching the episode, you're like, yep, definitely. And then you watch it again. You're like, eh, okay, I think there might be some misdirection. I feel, I still feel like there's some mystery there, which we're going to get into that. And that's pertaining to the mystery of Tyler Ash. Yes. All right. We are going to be breaking down all of these one by one throughout our discussion, but let's start with the obvious one. And that is the mirror universe, David. Okay. We are indeed in the parallel universe that many of us are familiar with the universe where the Terran empire rule with an iron fist. All right. And though most of us Trek fans love these parallel universe one-off or episode arcs, there's always been a certain silliness to them. Uh, and what I mean by that is, and what I mean by that is simply the science of it all. Yes. We are dealing with a show heavily steeped on realistic science, a franchise that has pride itself on the plausibility of theoretical science proving itself to be true. It's a distant, you know, it's a distant theory for in science that could in fact be proven to be true someday. That's the type of science that usually Star Trek uses in their writing, in their shows. Yes. And bringing it back, you have a show that takes us to a universe where everything is similar but different, which honestly makes no sense. This is something we have discussed in depth during our Patreon discussions uh, the likelihood of a of a universe so different, but but there still being a duplicate of yourself is extremely far fetched, and it doesn't really sync with everything we know of Star Trek, the science of Star Trek. And I yes. feel like over the past twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years, we've kind of shrugged and said, you know what, it's a one off episode or two part arc, I should say, uh, like we saw in Enterprise. On Deep Space Nine, they did one or two episodes a year. So we never really stopped to think about it. However, when you really do think about it, the science of it makes no sense. And you're dealing with a franchise, as I was saying, that prides itself on science fact, right? Yes. You and I, as I was saying, have theorized and bantered on about this for countless hours. And we did an entire show on this. And we came to the exact same conclusion that Lorga did in this episode. And with one simple word, you fix the silly science aspect of the mirror universe. And that word, David, is simply destiny. Destiny. This is a simple way to explain away the ludicrous idea of duplicates, but also stay consistent with the themes of Trek and destiny. Um, and, and just to kind of 
explain myself, Dave, a bit more to potential new listeners about my idea of it being far-fetched with the duplicates, it's impossible. I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not even going to give a, a percentage because it's impossible. I mean, the Terran Empire, they're based on our research that we've done on our other show, our Patreon exclusive shows, and taking fan theories and speculation and things that we learned from the original series, Mirror Universe, Mirror, Mirror, there are clues that the Mirror Universe started as far back as the Roman era, right? Yes. Okay, now take that into account. What's the likelihood of fathers and mothers meeting each other at the right time, at the right moment in history, and having the exact same kids when the world is nothing like, nothing like, countries states ideology is nothing similar to the world that we know yeah it goes against the it goes against the butterfly effect it's yes exactly it's impossible it's always bothered me and i'm one of those people who can shrug and watch a show and say it's fun it's you know science doesn't need to be perfect it's fiction but when you look at a show like star trek that's again always prided itself on realistic science or borrowing elements of French science and making it science fact believably. It's always sat wrong with me. It didn't bode well with me. However, we came to the conclusion that it has to be destiny. Destiny has to be playing a part. As destiny has always seemed to be a part of Trek, in many ways over the years, it's become an unseen or intangible character in itself. Yes. Always there pulling the strings of our heroes and correcting their paths. And, And that's something that I love absolutely love about the kelvin timeline movies is despite the issues that many trek fans may have destiny plays a very big part in those movies and correcting paths that went awry due to time travel yes and how it has to correct itself kirk will become the captain spock will become the first officer Pike will be put in a wheelchair. He still will be paralyzed from the waist down. He'll still be in a chair. Captain Kirk will take his place. Captain Kirk will become friends with Spock. The sea destiny play a part in those Kelvin timeline movies, much like the older iterations of Star Trek. It feels right. And destiny has always been a part of Star Trek. So to use that word for the writers to sit down in that writer room, David, and say, hey, well, how can we? And I guarantee you this was their point. And I'm sure it's going to have more of a a narrative meaning as well. There's going to be some relevance pertaining to the story. I don't think it was just meant to explain away the science issues of the mirror universe. I feel like it's a killing two birds with one stone. Uh, Yes, the discussion between Burnham and Lorca does wonders for fixing that, the science aspects, and and using spiritual explanation of destiny, I feel like really makes it seem more legit and more realistic in this world of Star Trek. But I also feel like it's going to have some relevance, of course, to the development of our characters and what we see moving forward. Do you agree with that? No, I absolutely agree, especially with the one thing I actually found when I actually did my own research on this is the fact that Ever since the beginning of Discovery, they've made a fact, they made a point of always saying that Discovery is going to touch on fringe science. You know, we've we've had that with the spore drive. We've had that with the whole traveling from one place to another place and mycelial teleportation. Network. Yeah. And the the mycelium. the mycelium. Mycelium. Yeah, mycelium. mycelium. 
And then they continued on with other uh, fringe science aspects. Destiny is actually, there is fringe science that believes in a concept of destiny. It, it, there, there's actually science out the scientists out there that are trying to study the fact that why is it that basically if one particle hits another particle, you will always get the same result. And that that's the study of that goes into fringe science, like into the God particles that's being studied now. And that's why for me, when they brought up, when Lorca brought up the whole thing about destiny, it fits so well in in discovery because discovery is touching on all fringe sciences. Destiny itself is a fringe science because there are scientists out there that are still to this day trying to prove that destiny, karma, all that stuff exists. It's not just a spiritual, a spiritual mumbo, jumbo. mumbo jumbo. It is actually something that is tangible and it, it, it deals with what, how the at, down to the microscopic atoms work. Yeah. So the more I read into this, I'm like going, okay, they're actually trying to give a backbone to the mirror universe, something that I agree with you. Me and you have been like going back and forth trying to explain how does this, how does this universe of Star Trek really freaking work? Because yeah. I'll be honest, beforehand, I thought it worked. Yeah. But then, then you put, but, but the, there've always been one offs. Yeah. If you're going to spend a, a large amount of time, within the mirror universe, you need to give it more substance, more substance. And I feel like that's what discovery has, has done especially, and will do, especially after our last discussion about the mirror universe, you posed a really good point to me. That's basically say that I never really thought of, which is if one point happens, what's there to say that like you may, you, I vaguely remember you saying like, if I was sitting in this chair, what is going to force me to sit in this chair again in another universe if something happened differently? It's very complicated. And that's why the mirror universe never set well. Never set well. Now, and, if, and I've said this before. If it was a mirror universe that was created like the Kelvin timeline, the Kelvin timeline's parallel timeline, which I feel I'm hoping they explain this as well someday or they explore it more in the TV show. The Kelvin timeline was created at a moment. It was created when Nero traveled back in time and therefore it split. So for everything to run parallel to each other moving forward makes a lot more sense than something that's been going on for a millennia. And for some reason, the same parents get together and have David Sabal as a kid or yeah. me as a kid. It's, it's, it's just unlikely. It's unlikely. But when you have an actual point that you can pinpoint like the Kelvin timeline split, it's more likely to have those parallels because there was only a short amount of time between the, the point where it split and let's say 40 years into the future or 100 years into the future. Yeah. But then you throw in the equation what Lorca said. If you throw in the actual concept of destiny as a science, right. then that explains why I would be sitting in that chair, why I would be over right. sitting at this exact same spot still to this day. Yeah. And I got giddy when he was talking about it because I was like, going, this is stuff that me and you were talking about, yeah. and I'm glad that they're bringing it up. Yeah. And it's without getting too metaphysical here, again, if you guys are interested in that, we have a Patreon show where we we get into all of that stuff. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital. All right. So 
Let's move along here. It doesn't take long, but once the crew figures out where they are at, Dave, they begin to look for ways to get back. And this is where the fun begins for us Star Trek fans. Uh, They find data that suggests in the future, the USS Defiant will encounter a phenomenon (laughs) that will bring it into this alternative universe's past. This is where things get tricky. Okay. The Defiant crosses over to the mirror universe is the Defiant crossing over to the mirror universe is in the future for the characters of Discovery. Yes. But when it comes out in the mirror universe, it's about a century, give or take. Yes. In the past. In the past. In fact, as we discussed in our Patreon show last year, the original series episode where the Defiant crossed over wasn't even about the mirror universe. It wasn't until the writing staff on Enterprise used that episode to springboard their own narrative that took the crew of the Enterprise to the mirror universe. Now, confused, Dave? Let's break it down a bit more. <laughs> all right? The Defiant first appeared in Trek canon in 1968 during the third season episode of the original series called The Tholian Web. Just to clarify, chronologically, everything in the original series has not happened yet for the people on Discovery. Yes. Okay? And The Tholian Web, The Defiant, was a sister ship of the old Enterprise, meaning it was pretty much the exact same ship. It looked the same. Now, nothing about this episode was about the mirror universe. The only original series episode that was about the mirror universe was Mirror Mirror, which is in the second season, I believe. Yes. During the events in the Atholian web, however, the Defiant got sucked into another dimension, though at that time, we never knew where it went. Yes. Now, we do 45, 40, 40 years later. Fast forward to 2005, the prequel series Enterprise in its fourth and final season uh, did a two-part episode called In a Mirror Darkly, where DePaul is extremely hot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which takes place entirely in the mirror universe. Like the rest of the series, In a Mirror Darkly occurs in the 22nd century, about 100 years before the original series. And it's here where all the stuff in Burnham's explanation from the new Discovery episode happened. It turns out that when the Defiant phased out of the regular dimension in the Tholian web, it not only ended up in another dimension, but it time traveled into the past Past. as well. Okay? I hope that makes sense to everybody. So, just to recap one more time. The Tholian web in 1968 introduced the USS Defiant and how it shifted into another dimension. We never knew where it went. It was not a mirror universe yet in terms of canon. It wasn't until 2005 when the Enterprise crew encountered an anomaly that sent them into the Yumeri universe, where they then found the Defiant had been sent from that episode, and it was sent not just into the mirror universe, but 100 years in the past where the show Enterprise takes place. So now Discovery is about roughly 10 years, roughly before eight to 10 years before the events of the original series. So this is about 90 years. Yes. So this should explain how all this works. Uh, We did complicate things. If you're a new fan of Trek, your heads are probably about to explode. Yes. I'm sure. And we have to reiterate 
this is not the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. No. It, that that's a different ship right now I think this is a smart approach to take the show because the casual viewer can still follow the narrative without needing to know all the Easter egg tie-ins because pretty much all of this amounts to an Easter egg if you really think about it if you never saw Enterprise you never watched the original series you would still be able to understand what's happening yes and I think that's the best part about it is this element is solely for the Trekkies, the hardcore Trek fans who want those little tie-ins. And that's why I love the writers of Star Trek. The fact that they say, hey, we need to write a show. We like nostalgia, but nostalgia can also be a bane on writing. Let's give these little nuggets as Easter eggs for those that are in the know. And that's what was so fun. And David, this is a true definition of an Easter egg. You and I have gone back and forth about the bullshit Easter eggs that every fucking blog nowadays <laughs> is, oh, an Easter egg. Look at Captain Picard's hair. That's not an Easter, Easter egg. egg. <laughs> the Easter egg. This is a true Easter egg. Yes. And it's great. It is a really well done Easter egg, too, because Easter eggs are meant to cater to us hardcore fans. That's that all the it's history. for. It should not do anything for the actual story. Exactly. And that was what was important. Doing this Easter egg, not even knowing what the Easter egg is, doesn't affect the story and doesn't affect you as the viewer because you don't have to know about that Easter egg because Burnham explains it really cutthroat and dry right there. That's all you have to know. Yep. Now, if you want to, you could go back, you could check out those episodes and basically say, oh, okay, this is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like it worked. Now, Dave, the big question, though, for you and I is this. What connections will we see as Trekkies as well? Are we done with the throwbacks? Who's the so-called faceless emperor? Those are a few questions that I had as a Star Trek fan. And we're going to speculate. Are we done with the throwbacks? What can we see? Who can we see? Without it destroying potential canon and throwing off the current narrative of discovery or distracting from. And who's the so-called faceless emperor? emperor? Now, before we answer those questions, Dave. If you remember the ending of Enterprise. The ending of their Mirror Universe story arc. It ended with Sato, their communications officer. Killing Captain Archer. Yes. <laughs> hijacking the USS Defiant and on a course to Earth to conquer the current emperor. And that's how it ended. Now, the USS Defiant had technology that did not belong in that time period. It was a hundred years of advanced technology. So I don't think she had a problem conquering the emperor. So are we going to see her dynasty? The now, Soto obviously, a hundred years have passed. I really doubt she's alive. It would feel a bit contrived if she was alive. But do you think we're going to see some uh, some Trek moments, some Trekkie moments of tie-ins to that dynasty? I think we sh we we should. Or, or correction, we could, and in my opinion, we should, because. Enterprise left it on a cliffhanger. It really did. Where man. all of a sudden Soto basically takes the one thing that 
basically blows everything out of the water in that timeline, which is the Defiant. Because just like what you pointed out, the Defiant at that point is advanced technology that is 100 years more advanced than what they got right now. So Soto armed with that ship should be able to wipe out anybody that's there. It's like it it's much like when Nero came back in time with the uh the mining ship of his. The uh I can't remember the name of it, but imagine that was a mining ship yeah. and it destroyed federation ships like nothing. Yep. So Soto in a battle class starship Constellation class. Constellation class starship. Constitution class. Sorry. Was it Constitution Christ, or Constellation? Either one. <laughs> she will make mincemeat of any fleet that gets in her path. So, but the, the one thing that has me confused though is if Soto did take over as the new emperor, why is the emperor a hundred years later faceless? Like no one knows who what, what they look like. Yeah. Is it because Soto figured out that basically, well, someone's going to try to try to kill me because that's how the Terran empire works. Right. She would actually hide her identity and possibly the identity of her family. Okay. So that's your theories for Soto or Sato. Sato. I think it is going to be, it's, we're not going to, it's not going to be the actual Soto from enterprise, but it's going to be her, one of her ancestors or her descendants. I feel like it, it would be a great tie in. And a good way to answer that storyline, because I always feel like they intended to go back to that mirror universe story. Eventually, I feel like the writers of Enterprise probably weren't quite sure if they were going to come back. Because obviously they were canceled four episodes later, I believe. Maybe at that time when they were writing this episode, they didn't know yet. So the way it ended was um, was a a way to kind of leave it open ended so they can go back. So I think this would be a great way to kind of finish off that story a bit. For Star Trek fans who've been wanting to know what happened in that in that uh, in that particular storyline, absolutely. Because like no matter what, even though Enterprise was canceled and the fanfare for Enterprise was not as great as others, to leave any Star Trek thing, in my opinion, on a cliffhanger like yeah, that, you can't do that. You can't do that. It has to be answered. Yeah, they got to do it. So I'm I'm hoping we see that. Uh, also, um. I would like to see Pike. I'm going on a limb here. I'm going to be, this is my Christmas wish list for 2018. <laughs> uh, I would love to see mirror universe, Chris Pike and Spock. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's happening. You want to see the goatee? <laughs> I think it would be just mind blowingly awesome. So to, to see something like that in discovery and it's, it will hit the nostalgia which I, I don't feel, I'm not a fan of nostalgia. I feel like it's a, it's a, as I said, a bane or a blight to writing nowadays. Everybody wants to hearken back to the old days. You remember this? You remember that? I don't think we need to. However, I feel like it would be really cool to see something like that in the mirror universe. Uh, that way we don't have to feel the need to see that type of stuff all the time in the regular timeline if they end up getting back. What do you want to see, Dave? Really fast, in a nutshell. What do you want to see in the mirror universe before they leave? In the mirror universe, you know what? I do want to see a mirror universe enterprise showing up. Especially but maybe, since, but maybe not the crew. Maybe not the crew. Or at least Pike. Because Pike is the first captain. So I would like to see Pike. A mirror universe Spock, mm. I think, would be going too far too much. 
you know what, but it brings up problems with aesthetics, meaning what is that the inside of that constitution class ship going to look like? That's, it, that's the thing. Is it going, are they going to change and rewrite Canon and make it look updated? Like the ships are in discovery, or are they going to stay true to the look of that vessel? Like deep space nine did like, and when I say like deep space nine, I'm, I'm including the, the, the aesthetics of the enterprise as well. Oh yeah. Uh, all the star Trek enterprise in did it. Deep space nine did it. I don't know if next generation did. I can't no, they remember. Did. Remember when Scotty actually went back no, and, that was a holodeck, though. Yeah, but th- that was actually two spec of what yep, it was supposed yep, to be. You're right. So what? I don't envy the writers right now because what do you do? Because <laughs> I know in the uh, prequel book, um, the uh, Star Trek Discovery prequel book, Desperate Hours, written by David Mack, and we did our interview with him. Yes. That book actually explains the the, the differences between the Enterprise, the aesthetics of the Enterprise, why it looks different, technology, and the actual discovery and the ships that we see now, they, they explain the change in uniforms, uh, why they wear specific type. So, Ooh. yes, it's not Captain canon. Tilly in an in a old Star Trek uniform. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. <laughs> Put me in an agony booth and shut the door. <laughs> so stupid. Um, and we know that the, the prequel book is not canon. It could be considered that because, as we know from our interview, David Mack was involved with the early stages of the early stages of the first season of Discovery. He was in the know for the, I believe he said the entire first half of the season. He was included while he was writing his book. He was sent notes on what to do, what not to do, things to include, what not to include. Hey, we're doing this. Don't do that. Hey, do this. Don't do that. Yeah. But he just didn't have any say on the right, TV show. Right. So we know that there's canon influences and that the writers and him both shared ideas and thoughts. They were basically privy to each other's writings and ideas. So it would be interesting to see if they stay with that element from Desperate Hours. I feel like it's smart, but also, but also it may come off as hokey. You know, we're in a we're in a time that's very different than television. Even in 2004, 2005, when Enterprise aired, uh, audiences are very different. The palette's very different. And I, I'm wondering if. If the regular TV viewer wants to see something like that, forget what you want as a Star Trek fan. What works for the updated version of the show? It'll be interesting because honestly, is, is it should work. Is aesthetics canon, though. Are we talking about what do we want more in Star Trek? Do we want narrative canon? Do we want narrative canon or do we want everything canon? It's very hard mm. to do that. And if you want to look at what we've seen in the past 50 years of Star Trek, before the Discovery writers were even a thing, long before that, there were already aesthetic canon issues long ago. They did they changed things, the way the ships look, the technology on Enterprise. Everything has changed, and that's kind of the downfall of harkening back to prequels. That is yeah, the downfall because you're, you're dealing with modern television and modern audiences, and you're trying to stay true to something very old and very dated like the 1960s look of Trek, which I think is charming, and I absolutely love the way it looks. But will it translate over in a way that – Looks legit. I mean, they've managed to transfer over the clothing, as we saw in the Kelvin Timeline movies. Uh, the clothing looks pretty good. Although the technology, they're not going to put old TV screens and old, correct, computer voices. 
You want to come back? You want to come back? Remember that terrible computer voice? Oh my God, yeah. Like they're just not going to do it. It just doesn't work with modern audiences. So I feel like that's a slippery slope. However, at the same time, moving forward, someday, David, we're going to have to tackle it. It's going to be something you're going to have to tackle eventually if you're doing a TV show. Eventually, you're going to come across a vessel that was seen and the original series, and you're going to come up with a decision. Well, what the fuck do we do? Do we do we make it look like it did in the original series so that it can be aesthetically canon compliant? Or do we make it different and update it like the discovery looks? Absolutely. Because that, that for me is one of the more interesting things that I am anticipating is because you are correct. Because I, I want to see if they go find the defiant, the defiant's going to look a certain way. So they're going to have to explain well, the aesthetics. And, well, I was trying to get there, Dave, because according to some gripers on the internet, they are livid. Absolutely livid with the very first imagery that we got for the discovery. I'm going to read a tweet here. I have it right here, David. So be patient. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. Because you can't rush trolls either. And I apologize for calling you a troll right now. Uh, Brian at ibry83 we just called him out but hey he put it on the world wide web right yes he says hey star trek star trek cbs that's not the defiant quit screwing everything up hashtag star trek hashtag star trek discovery and he shows an image uh that tyler brought up on on the ship and it's an image of the uss defiant and the saucer section as well as portions of the port nacelle don't look like the defiant that we saw in the original series or enterprise, because as we know, the defiant is an exact replica of the enterprise of the enterprise of the enterprise. And on this image here, and I'll show it to you if you have not seen it. Uh, it's the one, it's the image that they brought up to talk when they started discussing the USS defiant. Oh, okay. And there's sections that are different. the, on the saucer, particularly. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, it's going to be different because they're probably going to be adjusting some stuff. Well, it's also a hundred years later, roughly, and exactly. maybe they have changed things. However, I don't think this is. They're looking at the database on their computer, and it says USS Defiant. Because I thought the exact same thing when I watched it. It doesn't. They're not in the database for the Defiant of the Mirror Universe. So this is based on their information of what the Defiant looked like last. So there is a discrepancy there. They maybe they're explaining it. Maybe we they'll fix it. Maybe it's too soon. However, they're already facing those issues. Yeah. And I feel like that's a big one, particularly because according to Canon, the USS Enterprise and the USS Defiant are identical. So now is the Enterprise going to look like this as well moving forward? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So I'm not a stickler, honestly, Dave. I am more a stickler for canon compliant writing. Yes. I want the narratives to sync up with our characters. History events that happen in the Star Trek universe need to stay the same. You can't change things. But when it comes to a show that you're dealing with, you're dealing with 50 years of canon and 50 years of art design, art direction, 3D modeling, 
CGI replacements. You're dealing with things that have progressed and changed drastically over the course of 50 years. I'm willing to give them a pass when you have to update things for a 2018 audience. Yes. Whereas with story, there's no reason for that. Don't fuck things up Don't fuck in terms up. Of, of narrative. Mm-hmm. So I give them a pass on this. How, and also I'm going to be patient and find out what they, what they do. But and that's, that's the thing. Discovery has proven that if you're patient as a viewer, things will make, things will make sense. Yeah. Patient. Patience. Patience. Just like I am waiting in the agony booth this, this, for Captain Killy to come kill me. This, this, I want her boot on my throat, David. I'm saying it now. <laughs> Put that boot on my throat. Did you say boot or boobs? I, boot. I want, I want pain, David. And I want, and I want to look at her while I'm in pain. <laughs> All right. You know what? We need to go to another quick break. I'm telling you, this show's going to take forever today. We're going to a very quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into the rest of our discussion. Pray havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Everything! All right, so Star Trek from the Holodeck offers additional shows for all Patreon subscribers. Follow us at patreon.com slash Digital and get more Star Trek discussions ranging from who's a better villain, Q or the Borg. Captain Kirk versus Picard. The classic argument. It's all covered on our Patreon exclusive shows. So head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and receive more shows. I wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it. Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. Energize. All right, here we go. David, all right, let's switch gears just a bit. The complicated social politics and the tyrannical ideology of the mirror universe baddies is ripe for some truly inspiring and relevant writing. Uh, We've always said this, and I think that's what has fueled our excitement for the possibilities of discovery going into the mirror universe. When we first heard fan theories or we first started thinking about the show and what they're going to be doing and how are they going to explain the parallel universe that was created when JJ took the took the reins for the movies are they going to go into the actual mirror universe as they are in fact in now 
I think this is what truly fueled a lot of our excitement for the mirror universe aspect. Uh, in this golden age of television, we as an audience are wanting more intelligent narratives that won't feel insulting and ultimately that will serve as a perfect sandbox for some really terrific stories. And that's kind of what we were alluding to before this last break we went into. And I'm excited to see what what they do moving forward. You have a show that has not shied away, a, a franchise that's never shied away from social politics, as we were saying. Yes. And I feel like the mirror universe is just a fantastic place to really explore some of those topics because we're dealing with polar opposites, but not just polar opposites. We're dealing with people's decisions, very dark decisions in our real, you know, in the real Star Trek universe. We have we have characters like Burnham and Lorca who have made dark decisions. How does that look moving into the mirror universe when you compare it or contrast it to the mirror universe versions of themselves. Yes. So there's a lot to do there. There's a lot that we can hope to expect to see for some very intimate revealing moments uh, for our character developments. All right. One theory proven, and we have another to go. It would appear that Tyler was, or is in fact, Vok. Vok. Oh, he is. At least, (laughs) at least this is what the writers would have us believe. Oh, come on. After everything that is in there. I don't know. Dave, look it. Okay. She wants to protect him. I know. I know. What if the D is just that good? What if he gave her the dick and it's just like she loves it? And it made her forget about Vok. (laughs) I'm just saying that before this episode, I was on board. I was on board the Ash is Vok train. I was on that bandwagon. I don't know if it's just the the writer in me. I'm not ready for the reveal yet. Maybe I felt like the reveal was too simple. And maybe it's not as simple as we think it is either, Dave. Maybe because we were in the know, because we knew about this fan theory. Maybe it appears to us as being a little too easy. But try to take yourself out of it for a moment and look at this through different glasses for a moment. Let's say we didn't know and we had no clues and we didn't hear this ridiculous fan theory that Ash Tyler was in fact going to be Vok. Would this then make us start thinking, holy shit, that's amazing. And that's one reason why I am leaning to the fact that he is in fact Vok because we weren't supposed to know that leaked theory. Yes. And I think if we didn't hear about that, I feel like we would be on edge right now trying to figure out what the hell's happening. And and the thing is, this is treading on the one big question that has been with us since the very get-go. The difference, why do some Klingons look more human than other Klingons? This is going to explain it. Hopefully. I'm hoping because that's something the writers have promised, as we keep saying. Well, you got to remember, they... they uh, that they said also, that, that this look will be explained. The different look to the Klingon will be explained. You got to remember that this isn't the first time that something like this has happened, too, because I actually researched this. The one thing that no one's re- I think people have forgotten was the fact that, OK, in Trouble with Tribbles, right? At the very end of the episode, you find out that the assistant of the one guy who looks completely human is actually a Klingon because why Kirk takes a, takes a freaking triple. The triple doesn't like him. And the famous scene where basically Captain Kirk says, Oh, Mr. Dovin, 
it appears that the triple doesn't like you very much. Hmm. Isn't that strange? And he does it to the Klingon and the the triple has the same effect. Uh, Dude, it's a perfect way to explain something. Maybe Vok is responsible for a new house of Vulcans. Yeah. Uh, Maybe his genetics start reverting and he comes, starts turning back into a Klingon, but he's been transformed. The DNA has been messed with. His DNA starts to become something else again. And he starts to start resembling portions of a Klingon. Maybe he gets ridges back. And now we have the reason why so many Klingons now look so different. So different. And yeah. It, and it would it wouldn't just fix the obvious issue with that Star Trek fans have right now with Discovery because they do look very different. But let's not point our fingers at Discovery writers and say shame on them for fucking up the, the Klingons because the Klingons have always changed. The, oh, mo- the movies have changed them drastically from movie to movie. Next Generation with the introduction of Worf changed the Klingons and the way they looked again. So there has always been the issue with their with the way they looked. So let's not point at Discovery and blame them. Let's point to them and say there are hope. There are hope to fix this issue. This this blinding fuck up that Star Trek has always done with the Klingons. They just threw they. They were pissing in the wind every time they decide they want to use Klingons. <laughs> we don't care if the, the pig blows back on the audience. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> They'll like it. Yes. <laughs> Open your mouths up. <laughs> and now the writers, I feel, are on track to repair and fix some of those issues. If it ends up being true, and I'm hoping it does end up being true, this theory, because I know the Internet has been ablaze with this theory. And it does seem like it's going to be true. Um, but not only does it fix certain issues with canon potentially if they do it right, but there's something about the situation that also seems to not be as simple as it looks. Okay. Yeah. And this is where my doubts come into play. Uh, yes, Dr. Colbert did identify physical proof that Tyler's body was in fact altered and discussed the possibility of a personality being placed on top of another it could quite easily be something very different as well. It really could. I don't think it will be. I do feel like they're trying to also give us a bit of doubt. But with all the things that the writers have been willing to cop to now, meaning the death of Culbert, they discussed that already on the internet. Mm-hmm. And they dropped a few spoilers that I'm not going to get into on the show until after it happens because I don't want to ruin things. Oh, absolutely. But there's been things that they have confirmed. They've confirmed a few fan theories. But the one thing they have not confirmed yet outright is Tyler being Falk. In fact, the name and in interviews have been they have strategically veered away from the name Falk. They talk about Ash as being a sleeper agent. They're choosing not to to go with the obvious assumption that a lot of fans are having now, even the ones that were not in the know of this fan theory. So I feel like they're toying with us. And if they are, then that's good. And Ash ends up being Vok. Guess what? That's cool, right? Either way. Either way. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm definitely excited 
Um, it was interesting to see Laurel, how she tried to wake Tyler up with a, with a with prayer the w- w- word which, and it didn't work, which is another clue. She tried to wake him up with a Klingon prayer and it didn't work. But what it ended up doing was fueling a fantastic s- side plot story for Ash. Uh, that's going to just knock everybody on their ass when they find out what happened. Uh, but you have the, a side effect of the prayer. It didn't wake him up. This sleeper agent or Va- let's just call him Vok for the sake of argument for now. Okay. I didn't wake him up from this this uh, this hypnosis he was under like it was supposed to. Instead, it created some type of conflicting personality traits where the two personalities are like kind of at war with each other, trying to figure out which is the right memories and which is the implanted memories. Implanted memories, yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe they're both real people, Dave. Maybe Vok is him and Ash is also him. What if... In order to make it believable, they took parts of Ash that was captive, that was captive, 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 that was uh, captured. Jesus Christ. Maybe they meshed the two together. A real person's memories with another person's body. How fucking dark would that be? That would be really dark because uh, there is, there is going again, there is fringe science talking about, you know, like phantom limb syndrome and limbs that basically from donors like sometimes the donors will experience weird things with the their donated limb or donated organs that's that, that that's treading on dark dark fringe science territory yeah, absolutely now ultimately all of this confusion and psychological torture led to our very first official character death that was much more hurting but stung my heart a lot more than the death of our very first tng character tasha yar i felt like this one was uh was um tasha yar we caught off guard we liked her but we weren't quite emotionally invested to her she was only in the first season the first season of tng was arguably debatably one of the less one of the worst seasons of tng i don't agree but that's the general consensus of many fans so there wasn't that emotional connection. Uh, however, we have a character like Stamets, which a lot of us have connected with. And then you take away his love interest that you you know is going to hurt him. And, and also he's going to blame himself. But is Colbert truly dead? Will Stamets find a way to save or bring him back? Are we simply witnessing a potential outcome through Stamets' mind's eye? Like, are we actually seeing things unfold in linear fashion? Or is this a simple moment in Stamets' mind because he's keeping he's crossing over and we don't know what he's capable of yet what if this is not really happening that's a good point because we're not sure Stam- during all those medical things it's kind of been told through Stamets' perspective in a weird sort of way yeah so what what if this is just a moment that's happening that's transpiring i think that would be kind of a cop-out but who knows we don't know what's going on with stamets quite yet yeah. and, and what the true ramifications of being used as a network hub to travel unlimited possibilities what's going to happen to him you can't simply take some medic medicine and say oh, all right i'm all better this is permanent whatever's happened to stamets is a permanent is permanent to his general to his whole being as an individual. Now, I don't think he'll ever be the same. No, I still say I still say Stamets. Stamets is going to turn into the traveler. Oh, simmer down with that. I one. still say he is going to turn into I, some kind of traveler. If it happens, it probably won't happen for quite some time. Quite but for time. 
I, I, I'm not going to disagree. Who knows? But looking at a more intimate aspect, how is this going to affect or alter Stamets' resolve when he finds out about the death of Colbert? Will he blame Lorca for putting them all in a situation like this? Uh, and let's talk about Lorca a bit more. I, I think we've learned something about Lorca in this episode. And that's always the good. Those are always good traits of a well-written episode is when we learn something about our core characters. And it's his sen- sincerity. I feel like that was the big shining moment for this episode. There was a sense of sincerity to Lorca. And it's and it's something that has been missing from his character and not in a bad way. I think it was by design. You were meant to be left in the dark with this character. You're not quite sure. We're left fumbling, looking for the light switch to turn on um, whenever we're dealing with this character. Yeah. And I feel like we learned something about him. Yes, he's a fucking mess. Absolutely. He's also suffering from some form of PTSD. However, I'm truly happy that the writers were willing to shine a light on a character that's been a mystery for most of us during this season so far. Something that most of us Trek fans are not entirely used to. Absolutely. They they put his humanity on display. The fact that he was willing to endure pain and possibly even death to get his ship and crew back to safety. And this is the only time, David, I feel like... He's actually made a selfless decision. And I'm not saying he hasn't yet. We, he very well could have made other decisions that were selfless so far. However, we always, as the audience, because we're privy to his, his agenda, we, there's a sense of doubt that he's pulling the strings of somebody. He's manipulating something for some outcome. Whereas in a situation like this, there's nothing to manipulate. They're, they're on their own out here. And the fact that he's willing to be put in the agony booth, that doesn't look fun. That thing, despite my (laughs) jokes, like even if Tilly was on the glass, guess what? It wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be fun. So the fact that he was willing to do that for the crew and he told them, be prepared to do whatever you need to. It put him in a different light that I felt is cohesive with the Trek captains. Yeah. And it's, it feels realistic. It doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel like the writers are trying to put Lorca within the Federation captain archetype because, hey, this is how all Federation captains act. However, it was a natural organic progression to get him to that mind state to where he would make a decision. And the sincerity was clear for once. Yeah, for once it was actually clear. That's why I said the earlier about the the conversation with him and Burnham, you see him naturally flip a switch and suddenly he, his, his mentality is okay. The whole war of the Klingons things that's, that's on the shelf. Now, as he said, uh, when, as he talked to the crew, this is about survival, right? It's about surviving now and getting home. Yep. And suddenly you see a switch flip in, yeah. in Lorca and it's like the war is, you, you know, doing whatever it takes to kill the Klingons. That's, that's different now. It's he, gone. He seems to have lost his mysterious agenda 
because they're in a different place where yeah, that agenda adapted. that agenda doesn't fucking matter unless of course his agenda was to get here and we're still being led by the nose by the writers you know into this mysterious aspect that is Lorca but I don't think that's the case I feel like this is that moment where we can finally allow them the 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 um the doubt we can allow the doubt to move away a bit and we can actually get a, a clear image of who Lorca was before that moment when he had to kill his crew. Yes. This is the Lorca, a part of Lorca. This is the person he was. This is a, this a is the dim reflection of the man that he was before PTSD took a hold. Yeah. This is the, the this is the actual Captain Lorca. Yeah. And, and maybe he feels like this is his comeuppance, you know, for what he's done to Stamets and and what he did to his former ship's crew. Uh, the agony booth scene was was everything it should have been. It was such a fabulous display of disturbing imagery that helped facilitate the idea of retribution for his actions. It was so good. Either way, either way, whatever ends up being, he's still staying true to who he currently is. Um, despite the moments of sincerity, He's still playing the manipulation game a bit, at least before they got into the thick of it. Because if you notice, Dave, he's still holding on to that lie uh, when he mentioned to everybody that Stamets is intent on exploring all of this with me still. Yes. And we know that's not true. We Stamets, know that's not true. Stamets has said, I am done after this. After I get us home, I'm done. I'm done. So I don't know what... Lorca thinks he's going to end up doing with Stamets, but he's still towing that line. Yes. So we shall see. Uh, again, to see Jason Isaacs play Lorca in a way that is a bit more lighthearted is so much fun. We, we've seen a guy that's more brooding, that was more dark and sinister, and now to see him play more of a lighthearted character, there was so much, so much comedy, subtle comedy in this episode. Um, and Jason Isaacs, you can throw that man anything because he's such a great talent. And when he uses that Scottish accent to pretend oh, dude, that was funny. to be an engineer, when when Tilly's all, this is my engineer, I, dude, th because I'm an uber nerd, I was like, please, please do a joke to Scotty. I just, I just, because of the entire dynamic of that scene and how Captain Tilly couldn't speak right. And she, it was just so funny the way she was trying to be tough. Yeah. You know, what the heck is going on? Like the little things. It was just such a funny moment. It was a funny moment. You had to have a really have have almost like a punchline to it. Yes. And when she handed the ball off to Jason Isaacs and and Lorca did his accent. I mean, holy shit, dude. I was like, yes, yeah, a throwback to Scotty. I love it. <laughs> it was so good. But this is the this is the cool thing about the writers of Discovery because you you um there's little things like that that make the show fun and let the fans know that that the writers are just as big of just as big fans as us. Yeah. That they love Star Trek just as much as us because this is something that, you know, that's an Easter egg as well. That's another thing I'll consider an Easter egg, something that wouldn't that doesn't distract from the story uh, that casual viewers can still take as take it as what it is. But then also us fans I'm like oh look at that's scotty it's obviously oh, yeah. a nod to scotty that's so, that's great. how you do easter eggs 
All right, so let's continue our discussion on Destiny by breaking down Lorca and Burnham's discussion and their current relationship. And I know we've kind of jumped around a bit with this Destiny discussion throughout the first and second segment, and now we're continuing it on in the third segment. But I wanted to hold off on it until this moment when we started talking about Lorca and how it segues over perfectly to the story of Burnham. Um, I mean, despite the aspect of realism, that the destiny aspect brings to Star Trek and the idea of the mirror universe, as we were discussing earlier in the show, I feel like there's something more to this as well. The idea of destiny and how even in this mirror universe, their fates, Burnham and Lorca are so intertwined, but will this pay off within our narrative? I think that's my question. Uh, For the writers to do this, it must pay off, meaning how will this shape the future of our characters? You're not going to take these characters in a show like this. That's in an episode that's not a one-off, one-and-done Mirror Universe episode, which is what we've gotten with the other Star Trek iterations. This is something that they plan to continue to explore throughout the remainder of the season, right? So... What is it going to do? The Mirror Universe is no longer a gimmick like it was in the past. It was a way to give us a one-off episode where we can take a breather from the big, the bigger story of our series, right? Yeah. That's what it has been. That's what has been done for countless years. Now it's being utilized, not just as a gimmick. It's being utilized as a way to delve deeper into your narrative. So for, in order for this to pay off, in order for you not to squander this, this wonderful sandbox that you can play in, it has to be relevant to the development of our characters and that discussion between Lorca and Burnham. There's relevance there. The aspect of destiny and what you brought up about, you know, is Lorca going to be a good guy in the mirror universe? And what does that mean for him in the regular universe and the, the actual prime timeline? What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. Talk about just a, a, a wonderful, you know, unbreakable type scenario. And what I mean by unbreakable is that M night movie where Samuel Jackson doesn't realize he's the villain of the story until the end. I mean, how awesome would that be? Yeah. I'm the villain of the story. I'm the villain of the story. That was like one of the coolest moments in that movie. Yeah. So if this, if they are playing with similar things with, with Lorca, Holy shit, man. That's why, that's why that conversation with him at Burnham was so good because you see it, whether I just think it could be basically Jason Isaacs is a fantastic actor and he knows how to play this, but Lorca coming to the realization, wait a minute in the mirror universe, which is supposed to be the polar opposites of us. My doppelganger is a heroic rebel leader. <laughs> I, I hope that's the case. That'd be so cool. I mean, and then all of a sudden I kid you not, you see it in his dialogue with Burnham it kind of starts switching the flip. What, what does that mean about me? Yeah. And what does it mean about her Burnham as well? I mean, she's made some pretty dark decisions as well in her past. Yeah. So we will see. And regardless, whatever they do, it it could easily be a fork in the road and they can go any direction. Um, However, one thing can be stated about this scenario, about this discussion, uh, the events to, to follow must and will no doubt have lasting repercussions on the very fabrics of our characters. You're not going to take them down this route in the first season. 
without it meaning something to the very core development of who these people end up being in the in the archives of Star Trek history. Yes. And this is where we go back, circle back to the the center point or the hub of this entire narrative, and that is Burnham. How will this shape Burnham? We have to remember what the story is about and our trifecta of brilliance as we keep talking about Burnham's story of redemption is not over, even though it was a conclusion with that midseason finale. There was a bit of resolve. Her redemption story is not over yet. And I think they yeah. made that clear in the midseason premiere. And think think about the irony of it. They gave her a, a, a weirdly weird way of starting that redemption story by becoming the captain of the Sinjao. Yep. It's, dude, how in the it's world, just poetic as hell. How in the world, uh, you know, Burnham's story is not done at this point now. You know, when she had to kill that one, the, 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 uh, Connor, you could tell that basically she didn't want to do it. She just did not want to do it because she didn't want to relive the fact that she failed Connor in her own, in, in yep. her, in her, in, in her own universe. Yep. But she had to. She's facing her demons. And that's why the idea of the mirror, let's focus on that word for a moment. You can poetically use mirrors for everything. And that's why I love the usage of the word. I love the actual usage of a mirror and how it's utilized in, in cinematography to explore ideas of introspectives. And that's why this mirror universe is so such a good idea. Because what you said about going having to relive a bad decision and how she failed Connor already once and having to come face to face now with your demons yet again is just another way for Burnham to explore her redemption story. Yes. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. Um, in this mirror universe, she will be placed in situations like we just saw with Connor, very similar to what she experienced as well on the bridge of the Shinzao when she chose to take the path of a mutineer. Don't get it twisted, David. This is going to come up again. Yeah. She's going to be put in a similar situation. I don't know how or when or exactly how it's going to play out, but she is going to be faced with a very similar situation. I don't know if it's going to be a mutineer decision, but she's going to have the weight of people's lives on her shoulder. The trifecta of brilliance will return in the form of Giorgio, Saru, and, of course, Sarek. But what type of role reversals will we see? Exactly. Still utilizing the trifecta of brilliance, but what are the differences in those characters in the mirror universe, and how will that affect Burnham? Those are the questions. I'm, I, I'm no, no doubt in my mind we will see those elements play. Absolutely. I mean, this is truly the beautiful thing about writers taking us into the mirror universe. The very name mirror universe is poetically perfect for self-exploration this is why, and a true introspective. This is why we as Star Trek fans really hold dear the idea of the mirror universe in Star Trek and why when every single Star Trek has gone back to the mirror universe, it has been absolute gold whenever they have gone back to the mirror universe. And why all the Star Trek fans hold it in high regard when it comes to the canon. It is a very, it, it's a very scary place for writers to go to because you don't want to screw it up. Yeah. But my God, the, the, the possibilities of telling 
really solid stories that affect your characters is just endless. Yeah. And it, exactly right, Dave. You're exactly right. All right. So before we wrap today's show, let's talk a bit about Captain Killy as well. Okay. And how her relevance and the development of her character this episode as well also means a lot more for Burnham as well and how we can use it to contrast and draw correlations to Burnham's potential potential decisions that she may or may not have to make. Yes. Um, now, first off, again, this is um, these poetic writing devices were utilized briefly with Tilly as well, the ones we were talking about that they're going to be using for Burnham. But look at Tilly as a character so far and the character that we have come to know in the 10 short episodes. Her insecurity or her problems that she had not wanting to face a person that is her, but so very different. This goes right in hand, hand in hand with the issue of Burnham and Lorca and the questioning of destiny and the parts that they play in this mirror universe and, and who they are in that universe. And again, playing with the contrast of Burnham and Lorca now with the actual prime universe versions, the real versions of them, I guess I could call it. You look at Tilly and how they utilize her character this week to explore those questions before we even get to them with Burnham. For example, as I was saying, her not wanting to face a person, Captain Killy, that is her, but so very different. The complete polar opposite of everything she wants to be. Think about her resolve to become captain. Yeah. And now let's contrast that with who she is in the mirror universe. Is this who she has to be in order to become captain? Is this her destiny? That's why that's why that scene with her staring at the mirror looking at herself that was actually really good it's smart man it was a smart scene it's very smart and it's a great way to add depth to our characters because you have to remember ultimately everything serves everything all these moving parts this ensemble cast like almost like any other star trek we this is unlike any other star trek we've had there's a center point and the center point or the focus is burnham and we may learn about Tilly. We may learn about Lorca. We may learn about Stamets. We may learn about Ash Tyler. But all of those moving parts are there to help explore and discover Burnham and who she is. And that's why the aspect of Tilly this week was so relevant. Having to face her own demons and see something she does not like that might be inside of her. That might be her, and she may not even know it. And it says so much about Burnham, who she is, the decision decisions she's made, and potentially some foreshadowing of the decisions she may have to make moving forward into the later episodes. Yeah. So overall, I feel like they did a fantastic job. Hats off, applause, kudos to the writers for doing just an amazing job with the Mirror Universe and, and taking it up a notch. Not making it simply a gimmick, but using it as a true writing device to explore our characters. It's just fabulously done. Yes. Um, that kind of wraps our discussion. I want to get your final thoughts plus a great, give me a grade on this episode and your final thoughts in a nutshell. And then we got to wrap it up. My final thoughts on this episode. This episode is actually my favorite 
of discovery from here on. You out. say that every week. I know <laughs> it just seems to get better and better. It does. This yeah. one right here, though, because of like all the implications and all where what they're setting up. I honestly think this is this is honestly going to be the best episode of of discovery because there's so many aspects that are in play right now that they've set. And because of the past episodes that we were able to be introduced to these characters, now we care. Now I care about Tilly. Now I care about Stamets. I I felt bad for the doctor, which, you know, I was like originally thinking, oh, Stamets and the doctor, that's going to be a throwaway thing. No one's ever going to think about it again. But once the doctor was actually killed, maybe, you, I actually felt so bad. I said, oh, my God. And he was killed right next to Stamets. Stamets saw it, couldn't do anything. And the only thing Stamets says is the enemy is here. And that's all he could do. And honestly, to this point, I give this an A+. It's probably the first A-plus I've given for all the Discovery uh, episodes. But it it's because it's been that damn good. Yep. All right. Um, my final thoughts are pretty much, you know, in sync with yours. Uh, the only thing I have to say is rest easy, trolls. I know there's some people out there that want to gripe and complain. There's a, even there's some always. there's even some members of the LGBT community that are a little upset, saying they're <laughs> they're killing gay characters. I know. And, I'm and, and listen, I'm on board the diversity train. Believe me, believe me. And I say this in all of our shows. I do not want diversity dictating our story. Yes, a story can dictate diversity. Include it if it feels unique. And organic and for a character who I don't think is fully dead yet. Uh, Colbert. His death means something. His death will mean something. It yes. means something to the story. So a gay character isn't an, a, 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 an armor suit. A black dude or a Mexican dude isn't an armor suit. You can't make decisions not to kill a Mexican or a black dude or a gay dude uh, because Oh shit, we're not going to have enough of them. Yeah. That's far more offensive. Yeah. Oh, we need to have at least three Mexicans, two blacks and the goddamn United Nations as well in order to satisfy people. We don't we don't write that way. You we don't, don't write you that don't way. write that way. And if you make a decision to kill a character because it means something to another character, that's why you do it. To help knock open those doors of emotions, to help propel another character forward, i.e. Stamets potentially burn them in ash. That's why you kill characters. Yeah, it, it means a lot for the story. So I, I, I think people need to relax. And um, there's no, there's no queer killing as I yeah. saw it on. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I saw it. I'm like going whatever because people don't know what good storytelling is. Well, equality means you're not going to be held in a special place just because you're gay. You're not, like the whole idea of a protected class is is silly. There, there shouldn't be a protected class. Equality means equality. You're no different than the next guy. So if you die, you die. You're, you being gay doesn't signify anything special. You being me being Mexican, Dave, isn't making me special. Yeah. Anyways. All right. That's it. Jesus. Just no think more. about Tilly. Think about Tilly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. On that note, I must get in the agony booth. Let's <laughs> get all right. We will discuss uh, next week's episode as well. So thank you, everybody. And if you love these discussions, please find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us reviews and also find us, find our additional shows on Patreon. 
you can go to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe to a tier that will give you more Star Trek discussions where we break down comics, Star Trek books, uh, random topics like the Borg or the Mirror Universe. There's no limit to what we discuss. No so limit. go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge and get more Star Trek discussions from sickos like us. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.